2: Hey, it's Doug Gottlieb. You know, our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for fast, free shipping, free roadhouse protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of the best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Firestone Destination AT2. But did you know they sell other automotive products, wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few? Everything you need to elevate your drive, simply go to TireRack.com sports. TireRack.com, that's way tire buying should be.
4: Listening to
2: Fox Sports Radio. 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 Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb's show, Fox Sports Radio, live and direct from the city of Angels, where we are five hours away from the first ever game seven in the history of Dodger Stadium, Chavez Ravine. Huh? Who knew? We all know now, right? What a night last night. What a game last night. Hopefully, you had a happy Halloween. Nothing more overrated than I had. I got the most candy, right? I mean, because you know it's a pretty cool thing. I have so I have a daughter who's actually uh, petrified of puke, of barf. I mean, she has like a legit phobia of uh, of barf, and uh, because they know people and they have gotten queasy before over too much candy, she had exactly two pieces of candy. Now, she'd all line it up in rows. It was beautifully organized, but she had only two pieces of candy. Uh, my little dude, kind of same thing, two, three pieces of candy. He knows it's bad for his teeth, and uh, he thinks that you eat too much. My ki- We have our kids convinced convinced that uh, you can get sick from eating too much candy, so much so that uh, her, my daughter's twin sister other daughter, uh, came in Like an hour after she went to sleep and she said, oh, my stomach hurts. I think I ate too much candy. Ametophobia. That's what what my daughter has, ametophobia. Anyway, uh, we had a good Halloween. Plus, we got home in time to watch uh, the meat of the Dodgers game. Watched the whole thing caught up on DVR. But it was, of course, on uh, when you're in Southern California. It's on everywhere. Ramos, can you remember... Something like this taking over the city. I don't know why. I I I feel like I feel like even I mean the numbers would support that locally more are watching than watch the Lakers. This feels bigger. This feels different than the Lakers title runs.
3: Yeah, I mean there was a lot of stuff going on when the Lakers won their last three with Kobe and uh, Paul Gasol. So, but you're right. It's just because maybe because the Dodgers haven't been there in such a long time. I think people just kind of are are jumping on board. Uh, more than usual, and it's been a great series. So when you have those two to go together in LA, and we're LA is like a a glam right glam city, and we're kind of like we jump on board. No, the we're, things are the but glam. we're
2: front runners. But look, look, yeah. basically like Houston's front running city too. <laughs> yeah. I I've said like like we could be critical of Dodger fans. Like I'm an Angel fan, and I'm totally into this for the Dodgers to win the thing. Now I'm just now I'm just rooting for a great Game Seven, right? I actually no, that's not true. I don't want the the Astros to win. I'm not sure if it's the Guriel thing. I don't know if it's the fact they play in a little bandbox and they're afraid to open up the dome, which can rightfully retract, or the fact they have a, a super short porch to like artificially inflate their home run numbers. The fact that they were in the National League, now they're in the American League. I, I don't know. Um, but the the great thing about Dodger fans or Dodger bandwagon, bandwagon mania is Remember, this is an Astros team that four years ago bottomed out. They tanked and their local ratings and local ratings for baseball are usually ridiculously high. Even even when you have a new like the Dodgers are on a specific cable spectrum cable to which everybody can't get because that's what they had in Houston. The numbers are ridiculously high for local baseball rating. That's one of the ways that in which baseball is so incredibly hel- healthy. They got a 0.0, a blue Tarski on their local rating because they were so bad. Nobody cared. So don't give me this lifelong Astro fan, except when they sucked. They're on the bandwagon. Dodger fans and fa- fandom is up on the bandwagon. So this is one of the few teams to which you can legitimately say, not that big a deal. Don't feel bad about hopping on a Dodger bandwagon. Would you like better, Game 5, 13-12, or Game 6, 3-1? to one. Music?
5: Uh, I'm not going to lie. A lot of people like to say, like, I'm a baseball purist, Game 6. I like the offense. Give me Game 5 any day of the week.
2: The weird thing is, because I've watched so much baseball, there were a bunch of times to which I thought Game 5 was over. But that game, whether it's the ball, I, I think, I also think it's it's never just one factor. I do think something's up with the ball. I think there's a reason they keep that dome closed. They know it affects the flight of a baseball. I think also the dimensions in Minute Made and some of the pitching and some of, of course, the, the approach in which hitters take all of these things had the buy, ball flying out of the yard. I thought last night was more like baseball and I liked it more. Uh, but I, game five was absolute craziness. Game, game five was probably more exciting. Last night was more interesting. Ramos, would you like five? Or, well, you're a Dodger fan, so you like six. Uh,
3: I don't know. I, I, like, I like a lot of runs. I like this ball. But it's funny. Last night, the one ball I thought was a home run was a fly out. And the two balls I thought were fly outs were home runs. Mm. So it was kind of, again, unpredictable. You just don't know. I think I've lost the uh, ability to figure out what a home run is anymore. <laughs> uh, because balls are just, they go
2: out. You're watching on TV, John.
3: I, I usually can tell when I'm watching a game when somebody hits a home run. I can tell, like, that ball's gone. And one when, when Corey Seeger hit that ball, I literally said, that's gone. And it literally, like, died at the wall.
2: I love my kids are watching, and they saw Corey Seager. Uh, after that sack fly, and he takes off his helmet, and my daughter, who's 11, she's like, he looks like he's just out of middle school. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, Dan Beyer, do you like game five or game six? What's more your flavor? Flight- I
0: thought game six, because game five, you just wondered how many runs were going to be needed. Dodgers you you were down three, and you're like, oh, they could come back from that. So I thought last night was was better.
2: You, you want to know the best walk in the history of baseball? Which was it wasn't was in the seventh inning last night. I mean, really remarkable what happened in the seventh inning. So, look, if you're not paying attention, here's here's the basics of it. Okay, the Astros at the time were trailing two to one, top seven. Justin Verlander had thrown ninety three pitches, sixty five of which were strikes. He had only given up three hits. He'd struck an out nine, two earned runs. Um, Tony Watson is in the game. Tony Watson walks. Uh, who Let's uh, say he can't hit it all in this series. Uh, Josh Reddick. He walks Josh Reddick, which ended up being the best thing that could possibly happen to the Dodgers. Because when he walked Josh Reddick, now you have a runner at first base. A.J. Hinch is like, you know what? I'll take Verlander out. He pinch hit for Verlander with Evan Gaddis. Gaddis grounds out. A fielder's choice could have been a double play. It wasn't, but could have been a double play. And so, though, and all baseball guys are like, "It's the right move. It's the right move. It's the right move." I'm sitting there screaming, tweeting to anybody who'll listen, "It's the wrong move." Two reasons. One, Verlander was fine. They weren't. They weren't raking Verlander right. He hit Utley. It wasn't like it wasn't like Utley hit one off the wall and then yeah did, did Seeger Seager nearly hit one out like yeah but he didn't. And I trust him more than I trust anybody even Musgrove coming out of the pen who of course gave up a home run. But more than anything you can you're down one run. You could bunt Reddick over and keep Verlander in the game and keep that keep that in your back pocket. And by the way, you can rest your bullpen so that even if you lose, you don't go to your pen. Verlander's good for 110, 120 pitches. He's that good, and he's gone that long plenty of times in the past. And so, look, I mean, I was I proven right? I think so, because Musgrove gave up the solo home run to Jock Peterson, who's just an unbelievable story, right? He was so bad in August and September. He's been so good in this series. And maybe it didn't matter because the Astros didn't hit anyway. But if you kept Verlander out there, you protect your bullpen. You kept Verlander out there. Uh, I, I think I, I struggled to see where the Dodgers could score another run off him. And even if they do, you could go to your pen. Then you just keep that option of resting your bullpen so that your bullpen gets two days off getting ready for game seven instead of going through Musgrove, going through Gregerson and actually smartly even for one batter using Liriano last night. Because you didn't have a lefty coming out of the pen. You just had to get Liriano a taste to see what he's got. And what he's got is pretty good. Here's A.J. Hinch.
5: I thought he was good, especially early. You know, he brings so much energy and so much aggressiveness to the game, and I thought he entered the game with that. I thought he was, you know, obviously cruising. He had the, uh, the you know, the one hiccup in the middle uh, of the game, but that was about it. They did a good job putting some at-bats together, and they got some big hits. Obviously, the, the elevated fastball to Taylor in one of the biggest moments of the game. So, again, I thought he stepped up and put as much into that game as he could.
2: And, and look, what I'm saying would be unconventional, but, I again, we talked about this yesterday, the long play better than the short play, which brings us to what tonight is about. I'm most interested in two Dodger pitchers. You Darvish is going to get the start. When we last saw him, um, he was not only bad against the Astros, Yuli Gurial was making fun of him. Like, Do you throw at Gurial? I mean, I don't think you do, but baseball has a tendency to work itself out, doesn't it? Like, how fascinated are you to see him go against Gurial? I know I am. And then we played you it yesterday that Dave Roberts got a call from Kershaw saying he could go. Kershaw saying he'd go 27 innings. Like, no, 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 you're going to close out game seven of the World Series. And so while Clayton Kershaw's second start in this World Series didn't go well, do we once again change the narrative, the discussion about Clayton Kershaw when dominant in game one, he got blown up in game two, did, gave up one big home run, but not the, the second big home run was actually Maeda. And then if he closes out game seven, how then do we evaluate his clutchness, his toughness, his ability to pitch in big situations? Because he can't get any bigger than pitching against the best lineup in baseball. That's the Astros in the biggest and last baseball game of the year. That's tonight. Like, look, I think the Dodgers should be prohibitive favorites. I think all the pressure went to the Astros. They haven't hit in Dodger Stadium with the exception of game two. They haven't hit on the road and they're facing a rested Hugh Darvish and probably arrested Alex Wood and then a Clayton Kershaw. That's better than anything Houston's going to throw out there now that Justin Verlander's not going to pitch. But I'm most interested to see what Darvish does against Gurriel and if Clayton Kershaw can be the uh, can get the save and and win the first World Series title since 1988 for the Dodgers. That's what I'm into. What are you into? Eight seven seven nine nine on fox or at Gottlieb Show. Baseball's been great. The first set of rankings College Football Playoff uh, Committee has been released. And while, while look, I know it's going to play out and everybody's going to, most of them are going to lose a game. Some are going to lose two games. I got two big takeaways. Two big ones. I'll share them with you upcoming next. But first, this is your last chance Save $700 on the most incredible training system ever, the Frog Pro Training System. It's a tremendous offer that ends today, November 1st, last day. Would you like to get in the best shape of your life? That sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, not if you call 844-837-6443 right now. Frog Pro Training System can be used in your living room, hotel room, office. Take it outside, light your competitive fires while you burn off pounds and tighten and tone every muscle in your body. Since Frog Pro Training Systems works out every major muscle group at the same time, it's like, a full out, all, it's like an all-out full-body sprint. And how'd you like to have a body of an Olympic sprinter? Act now, because the sale ends today. That's right, today is the final day. Frog Pro Training System works for everyone, from elite pros to everyday Joes. But you got to call this number, 844-837-6443. 844-837-6443. You can order now also at Amazon or at frogfitness.com. That's frogfitness.com. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area pay for the same car you're looking for and on average save over 3000 off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. All right, so the first college football rankings came out last night. I know there's a lot of stuff going on, right? Like, ah, Halloween, I had... The World Series I had maybe an NBA game or I had a softball game I don't know you guys play softball I find it to be wildly unfulfilling like I like I like I've gone to a lot of charity softball games um I like occasionally going out and like if somebody has a team like oh I, we got a guy down like you'd like to play but then the idea of like every week like every team's like ah. no thanks like I don't feel like I got a workout yet it's a uh, it's an inordinate amount of time to spend doing a sport and not get a workout at all. It's like golf. I, I enjoy golf a great deal. It was like, how long? Like five hours? Like oh, No, thank you. Oh, you can speed this thing up. Now, the great thing about golf is like, there are times to which you can, you get up. You like, if you're, if there's no kids around, great. But like on a weeknight, that's a, Softball is a hard commitment, hard commitment. I like hitting golf balls, really like hitting golf balls. And I do like when you have a if you a good group of people or a, a buddy or whatever, you know, it's a really nice course, especially you get somebody else to carry your bag or you're going to do a real fast. Hey, let's go do a quick 18, quick nine. I like that. How fast can we get through this without with, with, you? Good. Good. Like I'm not even on the green and I'm good. Amazing. Uh, last night, the college football rankings came out. I, I guess I could be go crazy about Georgia being ranked ahead of Alabama, even though if Georgia played Alabama, which they will in the SEC championship game, Alabama would be a healthy favorite over Georgia. Notre Dame's ranked third, Clemson fourth, Oklahoma fifth, Ohio State sixth, Penn State seventh, TCU eighth, Wisconsin ninth, and Miami tenth. Here's what's interesting about it. Um. Look, th- th- you, these rankings are like, I hey, don't hold me to it. That's basically what they say. Notice that Wisconsin is ninth and Miami's tenth. Miami should have lost to Georgia Tech. Miami hasn't really played anybody. Wisconsin doesn't play anybody until Michigan on the 18th, and even that's at home. They don't play Penn State. Don't play Ohio State. Didn't step out of conference to play anybody who's any good. And so they basically have a two-game schedule. Right? Maybe three if you throw in Minnesota because that's a rivalry game. do well, they play for Paul Bunyan's axe? Or is that the oaken bucket game? One of the two. There's even an, there's an axe or a bucket or maybe an axe that chops a bucket that is available to the winner of that game. The two interesting things that jumped out at me, it's to buy Paul Bunyan's axe. yeah, And then, and then whoever gets it like runs around like, yeah, whoa, 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 let's swing that thing. Um the two interesting things are one the committee is not fooled by the zero next to your record like I remember how many years ago was it it was very early on in my national radio career I'm gonna say oh three or o four that South Florida was ranked as high as two it was ranked as high as two in the in the polls and uh I don't even know if they ended up being ranked at the end of the year. They were ranked as high as two. Why? Because they were the last team or the next to last team to have lost a game. And you're like, well, I just I guess we got to just keep moving them up. And so the fact that they're not fooled by Miami's 7-0 record or Wisconsin's 8-0 record as opposed to TCU, who's beating Oklahoma State in the road, as opposed to o- Oklahoma that's beating Ohio State in the road, or Ohio State who lost at home to Oklahoma but beat Penn State at home. Or Penn State, who beat Michigan at home and lost in a very close game to Ohio State. Or Notre Dame, who lost at home to Georgia, but Notre Dame, who thumped USC and has played top, and won at Michigan State. Or Clemson, who, yes, they lost, but they didn't have their quarterback when they lost to Syracuse on the road and has looked dominant in every other game. The point is that they're not fooled, by your record per se as much as the what what the record actually contains now how much did this extend I I don't know you know like what if Michigan beaten beats Virginia Tech and beats Notre Dame both at home and remains undefeated I think they skyrocket up the polls um the second thing is that they have not forgotten that Ohio State lost to Oklahoma earlier this season at home like so many other people have completely forgotten that. Ohio State came back and had a great fourth quarter and outscored Penn State 19 to 3. I thought Penn State gave the game away. It doesn't mean I think Penn State's the better football team, but they should have won that game. They had a lead. They were they were in the red zone. They got super tight with their play calling. They had a a punt blocked, uh, And so, like, look, the the three points they got in the fourth quarter should have been six or seven, and had they not had a punt blocked, that's another touchdown they wouldn't have given up. The defense wouldn't have been on the field in as tough a position, and they probably win the game. And then when they did get the ball back, their next-to-last possession, it was deep in their own territory, and they got super conservative with their play calling. Penn State lost that game more than Ohio State won it, even if J.T. Barrett was spectacular. The point is, though, that while that just happened this past weekend, the committee has not forgotten that Oklahoma beat him at their place. Those two things as my two takeaways. Now, I think it's a uh, it's you it's a waste of time argument as to what this means end of so much football to be played. Miami plays Notre Dame. Notre Dame plays at Stanford. Georgia still has to go to Auburn. Longest longest standing rivalry in the South. Plus they have the SEC championship game. Like, what's a smarter argument is, let's say Alabama runs the table. Loses to Georgia. We assume that, so both SEC teams get in even though the SEC is deemed down. I would say the the answer is yes. What happens if Ohio State loses to Michigan? And Penn State loses to Michigan State. We all think that the, uh, that the Big Ten is the best league. But let's say Michigan, you know, beats Ohio State, beats Wisconsin. And Penn State loses to Michigan State. Or, you know, and they all end up one or two losses. Who do you put in? What about the Pac-12? You know? What about the Pac-12? Washington is 12th. It's the highest. Washington wins out after losing a crazy game to Arizona State on a Friday night. How come everybody else can lose a road game except Washington? What if they win out? They win a Pac 12 championship. Do they get back into it? You know? So there's a, there's a, there's it that, but my two takeaways are very simple. Being undefeated doesn't matter if you didn't beat anybody. And they did not forget that Oklahoma beat Ohio State, which is good for them. Now, Oklahoma, let's say Oklahoma, Oklahoma still got Oklahoma State and TCU on their schedule, and they'll probably play, they'll play one of those two teams a second time in order to win a Big 12 championship. Remember the Big 12 championship returns this year. So still got a long way to go. Let's bring in Dan Beyer. Uh, Dan, what else you got working
0: Well, you're talking about the college football rankings. This just in from the college football playoff. Future sites for championship games have been determined now through the year 2024. In 2021, the title game will be held in Miami. The next year, it's in Indianapolis with 2023 having the game in L.A., Doug, and in 2024, the game will be played in Houston. So that means in the first 10 years of the college football playoff, the championship
2: game will be played in 10 different cities course tonight it... will vegas ever get it i'd uh, be i'd be interesting to me because remember vegas the ncaa stays away from vegas for their tournament they shouldn't especially now with mm-hmm. t-mobile but they'll have a beautiful stadium that's got a retractable roof and keep in mind uh keep in mind that the college football playoff committee is not run by the ncaa correct correct
0: and i would think at some point it would have to i mean I, maybe I'm wrong, but, heck, college basketball conference tournaments have no problem going to Vegas. Why not bring some college football there as well? Uh, World Series Game 7 tonight in L.A. Astros and Dodgers, 7.30 Eastern time. You'll see it on Fox. Lance McCullers goes for Houston. You Darvish on the mound for L.A. It's the third Game 7, Doug, we've had in the last four World Series, so we've been... Dealing with those treats over the last couple of years, Astros looking for title number one as a franchise. Dodgers looking for number seven. The Broncos have named Brock Osweiler as their starting quarterback for Sunday's game at Philadelphia, replacing Trevor Simeon. Broncos wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders returned to practice today from a sprained ankle. Patriots have signed free agent quarterback Brian Hoyer to a three-year deal. And Sixers center Jaleel Okafor wants to be traded or have his contract bought out. By the team, of course, he was announced yesterday that they wouldn't pick up his option. Okafor said that he was happy to hear that, as he looks like he wants to play somewhere else.
2: Boy, well, his value is not very good though, right now, huh? I mean, who wants your little Okafor? You could be, you could be some of that mm-hmm. candy corn that people complained about getting. You could probably put together a bucket of candy corn uh, and uh, maybe some other can- some other treats from last night. Uh, Mike and Ike's. Um, I'm, I'm big on. Uh, Uh, I'm big on uh, Abba Zabba. You guys ever like Abba Zabba? Mm, Not familiar. Uh, Abba Zaba Is that that toffee with peanut butter on the inside? Yeah. That is delicious. Uh Abba Zaba is delicious. Anyway, it can be be had. Have you guys heard this story about the better in Vegas who's been letting it ride? First of all, you ever seen the movie Let It Ride? Richard Dreyfus, right? Down on his luck. uh, Gambler who has an amazing day at the track. And in between races, he keeps going back to a bar and different things, different signs. He meets a different woman. All these different things, all these things happen. And he lets it ride. He keeps, you guys do know what let it ride is, right? That means you take your winnings instead of walking away with the profit or betting the original amount. You put all of it on the next bet and the next bet and the next bet. It's called letting it ride. So there's a guy or somebody, woman, I don't know, group, Somebody in Vegas who um, has been letting it ride. And last night's bet, which they, he, she, it, placed on the Dodgers for $8 million. Million. $8 million. Let's go to RJ Bell, founder of Pregame.com. And uh, we're going to do the, all right. Wait
1: till I get my money right.
2: Are you tired of losing money every week?
1: Yeah, boy.
2: Do you want to be in the know? How about
1: no?
4: Well, we might not know, but Vegas always knows.
2: Vegas! Bring out the bottles! Okay, so uh, RJ joins us every week, but we usually on Thursdays, and he gives us all kinds of tips and info, things you can get on his website, uh, pregame.com. Obviously, there's things you can get on his website you can't get here. You go to his Twitter handle at RJ in Vegas, or you can listen to his show on Friday night or Saturday night, right here on Fox Sports Radio. It's called Straight Out of Vegas. It's eleven o'clock uh, to midnight Pacific time on Friday night, and ten o'clock to midnight Pacific time on Saturday night, getting you ready for the Sunday football games. But RJ, you've been all over this story. All right, so how legitimate is it that one guy has eight million dollars that he bet on the Dodgers last night? To me, this
6: the idea of is this happening is 100% as in multiple sources of mine, everyone I trust telling me the same things, just different people telling me the same things. It's impossible that this isn't true. Now here's the question. Is it 8 million? Is it 7.9? Is it 8.1? That kind of stuff I can only piece together, but the story in general is amazing and true. A fellow who was pretty unknown. So, this is, we do have some information on this guy. Younger than 30, Eastern European in both appearance and accent. And he has gone from game one through game six. All right. So, how much did he originally put down in game one? You know, that one I've heard. Five hundred thousand is where he started. I also heard on Fox LA somehow they were reporting four hundred k this morning, and I'm thinking I didn't report that. Where are they getting that from? So I don't. I, I would make a major bet the five hundred k is right, but it's in that range. Okay, so
2: you start with four five hundred thousand dollars, and you build up to last night eight million dollars. So as of now, the the as of now the the rake is what fourteen, or so
6: million is what he has won, and. The plan was, and he went around saying this the entire time he's been betting. And remember, a lot of people on Twitter are like, wait a minute. No sportsbook is going to take $8 million on one game. Well, true. That is true in almost any case. But he's gone up and down the strip trying to get 50000 here, 500000 there, a million there, and adding it up. Now, the question is, how does he get 14 on this bet? Because as he's gone up and down the strip, he said, our plan is to bet all seven games. Now, it's got to be another question. How did he know there was going to be seven games? Right? <laughs> but he's picked the winner every time. So it's a little scary. And, and, Doug, here's the thing that blows my mind the most. There's a sports book in town called The South Point. All right. So it's a book that's, that's been pretty ambitious lately trying to get more business. That's a Musburger's deal, right? Exactly. And this is interesting. So there's a partnership actually with a media outlet, which is kind of strange. We're going to get to that in a second. So here's what happens: the guy walks in, and he's known at this point, right? Because he's been betting at these books now for five games. This is for the sixth game. He walks in. This is uh before you know yesterday's game. And All the books talk amongst themselves, right? I can't specifically say in this case, but let's just say I would make a major bet that all the books, the minute one of the the guy bets at one place, they're calling all their buddies saying, hey, he's on so-and-so. And yesterday it was the Dodgers, right? He was on the Dodgers. The minute he walks in, as I've been told, they move the line in the Dodgers match. So at that point in that game, the Dodgers were plus 100. So 100 wins you 100. They were even money. Houston was a small favor. Got it. A few minutes later, once he walks in, the line was minus 150 on the Dodgers before he even bet. So him walking in the room caused them to move the line. Now, what's fascinating is, and this is quite frankly potentially unethical, they didn't move the Houston odds. So the Houston stayed at plus 115, So if you wanted to bet Houston, you were getting the same odds as if that guy hadn't walked in. But because he walked in, it went to 150 on the Dodgers. So that straddle, the difference, is something you never see, minus 150, plus 115. But they're so scared of this guy, they just drastically moved the number to try to exploit him. Now, here's the amazing part. He walked up, bet at the minus 150 like he didn't care, shrugged, walked out the door, and then they moved the odds back to minus 120 when he walked out, and it was like he knew that he was going to win. He didn't care if he had to lay the 150. I've never seen anything like this. Mm.
2: Mm. Amazing, amazing stuff. Um, hey, when you're when you're walking up and down the street, or I mean, you're driving up and down the strip, and you're trying to find, like, how do you bet these amounts? Like, is it digitally? Like, right? Do you have digital chips? With with, with uh, digital markers with each of these casinos, like you're not walking in with $500,000 going, put it on red, right? Like that doesn't happen anymore. How does it actually happen in terms
6: of the transaction? Well, great question, but I don't agree with you. I think these are the three main ways you're going to see it. One is if it's casino play, as you said, on roulette or blackjack. I mean more sports so uh, sportsbooks. For this, say- Ben. They would wire to the cage, as they say. Now, you can still wire to the cage, so your bank to the cage, and then they would give you chips, and you walk up to the sports book and bet with chips, like if you're a known guy there. But if you're coming in off the street, like this guy that wasn't known before all this started, usually it's going to be cash. Uh, I guess in theory it could be a cashier's check, but I've never seen that before. Usually they're going to come in with bricks, literally bricks of cash.
2: Wow. Wow. I mean, do you have like a bodyguard? A guy walk in like with a briefcase? Is a briefcase, you know? uh, Well, here's the thing. I've,
6: I've talked to three guys that's talked to this guy. So, literally, had a conversation with them. And remember, the sports books, it's illegal for them to give personal information about a better without his permission. So they couldn't give me like his name or anything like that. But the general gist was this guy had no idea about betting. He made a bet at one point and asked for a receipt. No. And the guy said, no, your tickets, the receipt. And he said, oh, okay. And walked away. So what this is, and, and one person swears to me, this is what's going on. This is a big European syndicate that has this guy fronting or he's a beard is another way to say it. And it's backed up with millions of dollars. Obviously, so, so
2: there's there's a group or somebody who's funding this guy, and he's just a he's just some some dude who walks in and does what he's told. Exactly. But here's the
6: paradox, Doug. Groups care about every penny. Meaning, if you're laying one ten or one fifty, that difference is night and day. The fact that they seem indifferent to what they're laying belies the idea it goes against the idea that it's a group so on one hand you would think maybe it's some dumb rich kid except he doesn't even know enough about betting to know like who you wouldn't even think he would bet if he doesn't know that the ticket is your receipt but on the other hand if it's a syndicate they would care about every penny and they don't seem to it really is a story unlike i've i've never seen a story like this Mm. I just, I couldn't imagine. Like, if
2: it's, I, I don't know what, what I, I get sick if I lose $20 on a bet. I can't imagine eight, now $14 million. Well, uh,
6: that's the thing. Now, he has not bet, and again, I've got everyone on speed dial checking in every 15 minutes, my contacts. He has not bet yet, according to anyone I'm hooked into for game seven, but he said he was going to. So, I'm going to tweet dude. that out as soon as I find out. Just
2: walk away. Just
6: walk away. You would have said that after game two, though. Yep. <laughs> yep. uh, def-
2: well, have I? $8 million? I am walking away after after Game 5. There's no there's no question. That's RJ Bell. Uh, check out uh, uh, um, pregame.com or follow him on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Listen to his radio show straight out of Vegas Friday and Saturday night here on Fox Sports Radio. Thanks so much, RJ. Doug Gottlieb show. Uh, this from Donovan Page. Apparently Let It Ride is a book from Matthew Scott Johnson. If you like the movie, the book is amazing and funny. Alright, good. I got something to read. Something to read. Because I, rem- I remember the movie. I don't remember a lot of the details. I remember most of the details of the movie. A very well shot movie, too. It, it, looks like, it looks like the bar where guys go for racetrack. Very good casting as well. Really good casting. Business is booming for one of the NFL's largest sponsor. Real news or fake news? That's next. Sleep on a Casper and you'll pick it over every mattress you've ever had. Test it yourself for 100 nights risk-free. Go to Casper.com, use the code Gottlieb, G O T T L I E B, and you could save $75. That's Casper.com. Code is Gottlieb. Minimum purchase required. See site for details. Terms and conditions apply. Doug Gottlieb show, Fox Sports Radio. Uh, John Smoltz going to join us in the third hour of the show. Very excited about that. Getting ready for game seven. I think he's as good as anybody who's ever done it in any sport. He's great. Um, we'll talk about the Broncos. Who are going uh, back to the future with their quarterback decision next hour. Plus, Peyton Manning in the news a little bit in regards to the Cleveland Browns. I want to get to that next hour. But first, let's play a game.
4: game time! This is game time.
0: It's game time.
4: On the Doug Gottlieb Show.
2: Game time brought to you by True Car, where you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. New or used, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Dan Beyer, what do you got for me?
0: Uh, today we have got... Real news, fake news. Alrighty, let's do this. One of the NFL's most prominent sponsors, Papa John's says business has never been better for them despite a decline in TV ratings and the controversy surrounding the league. Is that real news or fake
2: news? That's fake news. You
0: are fake news. It is. Papa John's Chief Operating Officer Steve Ritchie telling ESPN that research has found that Papa John's has been the most recognized sponsor with the NFL over the last couple of years, and he said that the company's performance can track the, uh, with how the league is going. Now, the company declined to disclose exactly how much in projected sales Papa John's lost from its affiliation with the National Football League.
2: That's interesting. Now, listen, for the record, Steve Ritchie is not the guy you see on TV. No. Okay? The Papa John's founder. Right? He is the president and CEO. C a uh, C uh, COO, oh, oh, oh. excuse me, Chief Operating Officer of Papa John's International Inc., and he's simply going by the numbers. So first of all, uh, I can't remember what this what uh, it's fake news that it, that it, that's helping them; it's hurting them. Correct? Yes. Okay.
0: He was the fake portion of it was business has never been better.
2: Yeah, but business is business is bad. Their their stock is way down. I would also tell you that there's other correlating factors here. Right? Do I? Do I think that the NFL's ratings are down, and that that might hurt uh, one of their biggest sponsors? Potentially, I guess. But like, remember, uh, Chick-fil-A was involved in a major controversy. They uh, they're not open. It's a it's it's a, a a company that has a lot of kind of right-wing Christian beliefs. They're not open on Sunday. It hasn't hurt their bottom line. Like having a political stance doesn't. I. I just don't think there's a a correlation there. Uh, College football ratings are down. Chick-fil-A's numbers down. It's possible that we're not in on pizza anymore. It's it's not, right? Like how many taco places are? How many uh, pokey places are there? Pop-up pokey places are there? There There are other options. There are other ways to order your food. Maybe it's that Domino's is now becoming more competitive. We've seen all their commercials with them. I bought my store with fifteen dollars I had in my pocket, and then I burned it to the ground. Right? There's that they have their they have their new ad campaign. I also think that people are like, well, I don't like Papa John's pizza. Get the hell out of here, right? Get the hell out of here. First of all, Papa John's pizza, like any pizza, you don't turn down a slice of pizza. Pizza? I'm gonna di- never mind. Yeah, I'll have a slice of pizza. Second of all, they were the initiate. They originally brought the garlic sauce dip, right? Didn't they? It's a great invention. Mm-hmm. Terrible for you. Great invention. They need um, to put
0: more of it on their garlic Parmesan breadsticks, by the way. They've been yeah. skimping. <laughs> like, I, have
2: nothing, I have nothing bad to say about Papa John's pizza. Uh, only that it's a really, really competitive space that they're in. Once upon a time, Domino's dominated it. Then they dominated it. Now I'm sure America is moving on to possibly something else.
0: Instead of the CEO, he's the COO. Now ah. a Papa John's. Um, yeah, Doug, according Byers. to a study on CTE paid for by the NFL and the Players Association, defensive and offensive linemen are more likely to get CTE than skill position players. That's according to a study on CTE paid by the league and players association is that real news or fake news Sounds like real news
2: They're real oh. and they're spectacular
0: Yes the study found that smaller repeated collisions to the head or collisions to the head are more likely to cause CTE than just suffering one or two concussions that are extremely violent or after extremely violent hits so it's the constant of the little ones
2: Yep it's the con- it's the it's a thousand little cuts right that's what uh, leads to the downfall of major corporations and 1,000 little hits is what leads to the downfall of your brain.
0: All right, Doug. Real news or fake news, Cavs head coach Tyron Lue says right now, guys aren't having fun when talking about the Cavs' start to the season.
2: I kind of think it's not fun to play with LeBron, right? Yeah. Things are going bad. Lost some games. Oh, let's do a meeting. Let's do a meeting. I, uh, everybody hates meetings. Nobody likes meetings, by the way, when things are going bad anyway, and teams don't meet when things are going good. So, I don't yep. like meetings. I'm on team Tyron Lou And I'm sure no one having fun. I'll bet there's a lot of guys in that team that, like, I totally get why Kyrie felt the way he felt. They're real, and they're spectacular.
0: Yeah, you're right. Uh, Final one, Doug. Real news or fake news? We chipped in and got John Ramos two tickets for tonight's Game 7 of the World Series. That's fake news. They're really expensive. Yeah, that is.
2: None of us did that. John's going to watch it home tonight.
1: This is game time on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Ramos.
2: Would you rather watch at home? Or at the stadium. Two tickets or watch with your entire family. We'll discuss that next hour. Plus, people are piling on the Browns because it's easy. But there's somebody else that should be criticized. Next in the Doug Gottlieb Show. What up? It's Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you from sunny Southern California. We are waiting with bated breath. And we are waiting to find out uh, exactly what happens in tonight's World Series Game 7. Okay, so by now you probably know the story about the Cleveland Browns. Here's basically what, uh, what we know. Two days ago, some of the Browns' coaches were ticked off that they were staying late in the office, burning the midnight oil, trying to find a way to get the team's first win of the season when the front office had gone home. Sashi Brown was nowhere to be found. And, of course, there were tweets uh, to back that up including one from Hugh Jackson's daughter, who basically affirmed what a Denver uh, media member had first said, which was they were there. Front office wasn't doing what it should in order to get the players to be competitive. Then that night, Jimmy Garoppolo was traded. Of course, the Browns had offered a second round pick for Garoppolo on trade night, which I'm sure infuriated the Cleveland Browns coaching staff even, even further not just because, hey, look, we got a second round pick. They got a bunch of other picks. got a ton of picks in uh, in the early rounds of the upcoming draft. So yesterday, they had apparently consummated a trade shortly before the trade deadline for A.J. McCarron, a second and a third, which is a ridiculous price. On the other hand, he was the guy that Hugh Jackson wanted. Hugh had been a part of the staff that drafted him. Hugh had played him. He knew Hugh's system, obviously knows the division as well and the Cincinnati Bengals, all those things fit, and it would appease the coaching staff. And if you have multiple third-round picks, who cares if you get a second and a third if you finally get your quarterback? Only one problem. They hadn't sent in notification from their side to the NFL. Now, today the news comes out that instead of simply celebrating, because that's what we were told, the Browns were so busy celebrating that they had gotten a new quarterback, that they forgot to send in the email. The Browns sent them an email, CCing the NFL, with the deals of the trade. They had to do the, they had to do the exact same thing. They sent the Browns, excuse me, they sent the Bengals. The Browns sent the Bengals an email with the details of the trade that were signed, but they forgot to CC the National Football League. The Bengals had done the same. The Browns had to sign it. They never signed it, thinking they had already sent in their own email to the Bengals. And so they thought it was all done. It was not. They appealed to the NFL, and the NFL is like, nah, sorry, trade deadline passed, no trade. Browns look like some idiots, don't they? Paul De Podesto is a baseball guy running a football organization, doesn't know how to complete a deal. Here's the problem with that. The Browns have completed plenty of other trades. Same group had completed plenty of other trades, including a mid-season acquisition with the New England Patriots going back to last year. So they completed trades. Why did this one not go through? There is, of course, the thought that it was too big of an ass for A.J. McCarron. And at the end of the day, somebody in the front office sabotaged the deal Because they knew it's a bad deal. We shouldn't do this. We can act like we're doing this and not really doing it. Do I think that's a possibility? Nothing would surprise me. It does seem like a a big ask for A.J. McCarron. On the other hand, they wanted A.J. McCarron. A second and a third is not that big a thing. The deal had already been consummated. It's bad for business to complete a trade and then go, psych, thought it was a bad deal, and so we didn't decide to pull it off. But the Browns look like idiots here, don't they? Can we all agree on that? Doesn't the NFL look like a-holes to anybody else? Like No one else was trying to trade for A.J. McCarron. Nobody else has given him a second- to third-round pick, right? But both teams had agreed to the deal. There are emails from both teams to one another agreeing to the deal before the 4 o'clock trade deadline. So this is not letter of the law. This is spirit of the law. Let me give you a life example for me. Uh, I have twin daughters. They're 11 years old. They're in sixth grade. One, struggle a little bit. Get some after school help. Struggle a little bit with the executive functions. I had no idea what the executive functions were. My wife's like, you know, she's just really struggling with her executive functions. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Ramos, you want to take a shot at what executive functions are?
3: Uh, I know the executive branch, but I don't know the executive decisions. So, no, I, I have no idea. What the, I'm with you on that one.
2: Okay. So, I'm, I'm not the only one who sounded like an idiot when my wife was like, um, executive functions are a set of cognitive processes that are uh, necessary for cognitive control of behavior. So, it's giant, it's attention control. It's cognitive inhibition. It's a working memory. It's cognitive flexibility. Uh, that's, th- those are executive functions. And it's things like, you know, she's in middle school this year. So you get done with one class, you got to pack up all your stuff. You got to remember what's due and when it's due and where you turn it in and keep your locker clean and uh, and then go to another class and do the exact same thing all over again. And she was late to class. She was late to turn assignments in. She felt like she was overwhelmed by the classwork. Plus, we moved across country. She was embarrassed by the quality of work. So she wasn't turning it in. Basically, she's not a dope. Right. Even though she has my genes in her, which could lead her to be in a dope. Um, but she there's some basic executive functions that weren't allowing her true intelligence to come out or to succeed in school. And so she's getting after school, after school therapy, a little after school help on homework. And she's doing much better. But during the first couple of weeks of school. She was late to one class a couple of times. And so she got a Friday detention and she mishandled one of the school issued iPads. And I think she broke one of the keys. You know, they have the little keyboards that connect to it. And she told us she was so embarrassed that she broke it, that she just kind of left it over on the floor where she thought nobody could see it. Of course, somebody found it. It had her name on it. So she got another detention. So my wife goes to the school and she's like, listen, I understand by letter of the law. She's supposed to get a, a Friday detention. But spirit of the law is, yeah, you want her to learn a lesson, but she's already struggling to fit in. She's struggling with the coursework. Like, can we come up with a more amicable solution? Like instead, Friday, we'll send her to her tutor." Now, one Friday she did that. One Friday she had to do the, the, the detention. My wife not happy with the detention. The idea, though, is that, like, look, I I understand you want to make a point if you're the NFL. Understand. Like, we'll get to a trade deadline. It's not that hard. You guys had months and months and months to describe to get this play. Matter of fact, you had the entire week to decide on this trade for A.J. McCarron you knew you wanted AJ McCarron for a long time and Garoppolo was off the board. As of the night before this deal should have been done a long time ago. And we say four o'clock, four o'clock is four o'clock letter of the law. The NFL is absolutely right. But the Browns are already the laughing stock of the league. Why make them look at even worse? They're already the, the Browns are struggling with their executive functioning skills. Browns cannot get their crap together. We all we all agree there. Right, they can't decide on a coach. They they go with a young quarterback. Wait, Deshaun Kaiser's not their quarterback. Then they go back to Deshaun Kaiser. Then Deshaun Deshaun Kaiser goes out and gets plowed the night before, two nights before the game, and so he looks immature. Then they're playing in a game overseas and they no show. Like the Browns are struggling for, and the Browns used to be a really good franchise. They are the fumble and a drive away from playing in su- in back to back Super Bowls, but right now they're the laughing stock of the league. And all the NFL had to do was like go like, "Hey guys, come on, Cleveland, get your stuff together." But look, you want to make the trade? You want to make the trade? All right, fine. Here's the trade is done. Spirit of the law. You both had emails that were marked before 4 p.m. Eastern time. Close enough. Close enough. But instead, the NFL is like, ha ha. Browns are dumb. Meanwhile, now everybody, including Deshaun Kaiser, knows they want to move on from Deshaun Kaiser. And oh yeah, by the way, if you're the San Francisco 49ers who only had to give up a second round pick for your quarterback of the present and future Jimmy Garoppolo, you're going to sit there with the number one or number two pick. If if the Browns somehow win a game and you don't, you end up with the number one pick and you're just stand out there going like, hey, We know you got all those extra picks. You want to move up, get your quarterback of your dreams? Got to pay to do so. I think the NFL makes themselves look like jerks. Needlessly so. Needlessly so. Matt Holliday is going to join us upcoming next. All right, so the ball flies out of the yard in Houston, and last night it's 3-1 to in L.A. Was it the weather that they put back in the old balls? And what of last night's decisions will play into tonight's game? We'll ask the seven-time All-Star, four-time Silver Slugger. He's joined us throughout the playoffs. We get ready for what will, without any question, be the last professional baseball game of the year. That upcoming next, but first, are you in need of some great talent for your business, but short on time? You don't want to get lost in huge stacks of resumes to make the perfect hire. That's why you need ZipRecruiter. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within just one day. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Find out why by going to ZipRecruiter. It's been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can get ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Doug. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Doug. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash Doug. At Farmers, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Like how to help so you can make sure you're ready for some of life's unexpected hazards. Stay ahead of the game with tips from a knowledgeable pro at Farmers.com.
4: We are Farmers. Bum, bum,
2: bum, bum, bum. Doug Olive Show, Fox Sports Radio. Ramos, where are you watching tonight's uh, World Series game? You at, couch? Home. At, guy, home. At, at home. At uh, home. What's your setup?
3: Uh, Like 50-inch TV. Nice. Yeah, a surround sound. Yeah. I don't know if that means anything Ooh, nice. for the game, but. No, It does. Get little fans in the back of you, you know, like you're sitting. In okay, the so
2: uh, now, do all the kids? Do they get into it and watch, or uh, is it like mom, leave Daddy alone? Your mom?
3: My mom's a big Dodger fan. My dad was when he was alive, so uh my mom will sit there, and Lucas will be there, but he'll kind of just keep saying the score. He'll keep saying like one nothing or two to one. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he yeah. does. That's yeah. fine. My my
2: my one of my daughters, Harper. She she was we kept uh, go, you know going house to house early on trick or treating. What is going on with the Dodgers down one nothing? What what they need to get it together. It's like, sweetheart, just listen. What are you doing? Like <laughs> So funny. So funny. Uh music, where are you watching tonight?
5: I'll be watching it at my girlfriend's apartment.
2: Mm-hmm. Couch? Yeah. Bedroom? Ah, couch. Okay. I'm saying, I don't know. I mean, listen, there's plenty of time pad plenty you know, there's time to we'll gotta pass time between innings. Um Matt Holiday joins us, seven-time All-Star, four-time Silver Slugger. Where are you watching tonight?
7: Uh, at the house, living room.
2: I know, but you like going to that back room at uh, Tiger Woods Restaurant. I just didn't know if you were going there, yeah. so you have somebody else serve you.
7: No, uh, we got the fam here. Uh, we got kids playing football practice, so we'll probably uh, rush home from playing football practice to get get to the couch, and then I'll probably finish up in, in my bed as it gets Later
2: and later. Yeah, it's it's ladies it's ladies' coast time. There's, this feels like this will be a a long, long, long game. Uh, by the way, are you calling plays for the flag football, or are you allowed somebody else to coach your kid?
7: You know what? Next year, I might want to do that. But th- right this year, uh, they're getting coached um, by other people. But I, I think that's you know, I think after watching some of the play design, yeah, I d- a- I, listen, I
2: I did this last week. I I was that guy that I've been watching all year. I'm like, this is crazy, and uh, one of the dads who played football started calling the plays a couple weeks ago, It got better Then uh, his wife had like psych- like surgery. So I drew up, I drew up plays. I called plays last Friday night. And of course, not only do we win, but I, it just happened to work out where my son had three touchdowns. What? And yeah. so playoffs start this week. And I just, I let it let it, let it out there in the group text. Like, uh, I'm available for play calling. It's, it's a, it's a lot of fun. All right, let's get to last night. Um, just really quickly, your overall takeaway game five.
7: Uh, kind of, kind uh, of what I thought might happen. You know, low scoring, pretty, uh, pretty uninteresting early, and then right around that fourth or fifth inning, uh, you start to see where the you know the managerial uh, decisions are going to start to come into play, and and all of a sudden you know you t- takes Rich, Rich Hill out. I was curious to see who he would go to first, and he goes tomorrow in the, in the fifth. Um, which I was a little surprised about just because, you know, typically he's been pitching the eighth, but I guess, you know, if you consider that the kind of the game being hinged on with Berlin pitching, that's maybe the biggest out of the game in his mind. He goes, he goes with his eighth inning guy in the fifth inning. So um, I thought the Dodgers, um, I thought that was the best chance. Um, Well, I I thought the Astros if they were going to win needed to win last night. So I'd say that I, you know, I think the Dodgers are in good shape, but, um, kind of, kind of what I, you know, as far as a low-scoring game and and, uh, and uh, you know another game where there's lots of decisions to be made and and uh, and both I thought both managers did, did I thought they could have left Verlander in, but I thought Dave Roberts managed the game
2: really well. Yeah, I, the Verlander thing is interesting to me, and and you know all your baseball guys you, you team up on me and you're like oh the numbers say that you obviously is like look you gotta. You, you know, you get, you finally get, uh, get your eight hitter, Josh Reddick. He walks, which ends up becoming the best walk ever for Watson, right? He gets pulled because he walks him. But really, that, that, that makes, uh, AJ Hinch decide, you know, we're down a run. Let's pull Verlander. And I understand they were still trailing there and Houston didn't score any runs. And it gives you an opportunity to score a run. But he could have bunted, uh, Reddick over and you could have left him in. And to me, Matt, that, they didn't use all of their bullpen, but to save that bullpen and get everything you could out of Verlander, I would have left him in there. I know it becomes a moot point because the Astros didn't score any runs anyway, uh-huh. but that was the, that was probably the one decision that I would have done differently if I was AJ.
7: Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that unless for some crazy way, you know, Verlander's available to pitch tonight, which I would guess he's not, but I think you want to empty the tank of your, of your, you know, your so-called your, your ace, your best pitcher, your horse. Uh, I I I'd hate to leave anything left in his tank. And, and, and so for me, if you could try to push and get two more, another inning, maybe two out of him, out of your, out of your guy and see if you can't, you know, get caught up or, or, or tied up. Um, I, I thought, I thought the same thing. I thought, you know what, uh, this it's not like they have second, and third um, with one out and the pitcher up to where, all it takes is, you know, you need, you need the ball and play a sack fly, something like that, where you feel like you really do need to pinch hit for for Verlander, where if you're in a position where you can uh, use the pitching spot to bunt, or it's not a, a tremendous opportunity to score a run, I, I, for me, I would have left the, the, you know, Verlander in there.
2: There's a, a common perception among analytics guys. That there's no such thing as momentum, right? That eventually everybody regresses towards their own mean. Uh, and I, I bring that up because you got a, a, somebody like uh, Bellinger, who I thought played an outstanding first base. He's not hitting well, but he played an outstanding first base. Justin, they've done a really good job on Justin Turner, uh, not letting him get going. Uh, Corey Seager did have a long sack fly, but he's only hitting 217. Uh, then you have some of the, you know, Marwin Gonzalez hasn't gotten it going and, and Altuve's really not hitting a ton here, especially on the road. I, I guess the question is as a guy who's been in these series before and is a prodigious hitter. Uh, how much of last night carries over into tonight? And how much of it is you just click, drag it over, and put it in your trash and start over the next day? How much carryover is there from one day to the next if you're a hitter?
7: You know, I think there's always some carryover as far as how you feel about your swing. I think in the postseason, is, there is an element of it doesn't matter what happened yesterday, and and you know the numbers don't really matter. All it takes is one good at bat or one good swing, and I can have a major impact on the series. Um, but I do think that when it's positive, when you had three or four good at bats, uh, you feel a lot better rolling into the next day um, against or say you know the guys um, that had really good at bats against the starting pitchers tonight. The last time they faced them, I think there's carryover in a confidence way. Uh, into your at-bats uh, tonight. Um, but I, I, and I think on the other side, if you, if you have been struggling, if you're a Bellinger or you had a bat, you know, struck out four times last night, um, it's it's easier in the postseason to say, you know what, I made some plays on defense that helped my team. Uh, I, all it takes is one swing of the bat, and I can make a major impact in game seven and, and help my team win. I can, I can quickly turn the page on four strikeouts. And you, you can chalk it up to facing the best pitchers in the league, in the postseason, you don't face any four and five starters or you know five starters, and and you always face the best bullpen guys they have available. So, you can justify, um, you know, the the lack of, of maybe quality at bats night before. But I also think there's a, there's a confidence to be taken
2: with on, on the positive side. Are you Darvish going tonight? He wasn't good in his first start in this series, uh, and he hasn't been particularly good at home. And as you pointed out to us last time, he was starting Matt Holiday, our guest in the Doug Gottlieb show. Um, unlike other National League teams that don't face an American League team because he was with the Rangers. They're in the same division. There's familiarity there from the from the Astros' side. Uh, what are your thoughts, considering it, it's going to be another kind of dreary, overcast night, same type of weather pattern as last night, maybe not the sprinkles. Uh, what are your thoughts on you, Darvish and your expectations of him this evening?
7: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to watch early and see what his slider looks like. You know, I think there was... You know, they we were saying the ball was slick for him, and he's having a hard time getting the grip on his slider. You know, maybe the the humidity and, and a little bit of of, uh, of of moisture in the air will help with his slider grip. But that's really the key pitch for him. He doesn't he for a guy that throws really hard, he pitches backwards a little bit more, which you know by me meaning, meaning that he sets up his fastball with his his nasty slider, so he gets guys you know trying to look soft or looking for cutters and sliders. And then he surprises them with his ninety six or ninety seven because it is pretty straight. Um, he he tries to get, I think he tries to get guys looking soft. And then you know the other day he he couldn't throw a slider for a strike, and all of a sudden he throws fastball and, and guys are ready for it a lot easier. So 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 um, okay
2: wait so so help, help me out so for people who are understanding because you're explaining you're explaining it really clearly to me. So most guys that have you know throw a two seam fastball that moves a bunch right like that's their primary pitch. And you got to kind of you got to be looking for that, and then with two strikes they 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 throw a breaking ball, you know maybe you know they backfoot you if you're if you're the opposite hand to them, and now all of a sudden you're looking for a fastball and you're you're you know you're way out ahead of it and you swing at the hook as opposed to he leads off with the slider and then he surprises you with the fastball correct?
7: Yeah, exactly. So you know he he maybe even has better command, for say, with his, his slider or cutter where even if he gets behind in the count 2-0, as opposed, you know, a lot of guys maybe with a sinker, he's going to try to throw a sinker in the middle and let the movement create a ground ball or a miss hit. Where him, uh, you know, he, his fastball, you know, his four-seam fastball is pretty straight. And if you're sitting on it, uh, I think, you know, he, he gets – I think he'd rather throw a cutter or a slider in a, in a hitter's count. Uh, that's his, his strike pitch. That's a pitch he feels confident in that he can get back into the count into a more of a pitcher – uh, friendly count um to where guys that pitch off the fastball, you know, that they, they can they when they get behind, they'll trust that their movement on their heater uh will allow them to get a, a weak contact and, and so I think he's he'd prefer to pitch backwards and and then surprise with the ninety seven up in the strike zone late as opposed to get ahead with it and then surprise with the slider.
2: How do you think he handles Gary all?
7: Uh, he, you know, reading the quotes, I, I think he, he seemed pretty mature about it, and, and you know, and I was impressed with his, you know, initial response. I, I think, is there an, a little bit more motivation in the, in, in his mind to strike Guriel out? Uh, I think so. I mean, I, I think he's motivated to strike everybody out, but I, I I'm interested to see if that velocity on his heater uh, ticks up a, a tick or two uh, into that high nineties range when Guriel's in there, and, and maybe look for his breaking ball to be a little bit sharper or, you know, drops the, the 65 mile an hour curveball, looking for uh, a kind of a big swing in the miss. Uh, you know, a little bit more drama out of striking out Griel. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw
2: that. All right. To me, the most interesting guy in this entire game is Kershaw, right? He, he told, mm-hmm. he told uh, uh, Roberts, he was ready yesterday and Roberts like, no, you're going to close down game seven. So like, he's kind of already put it out there and the Dodgers probably, they'll probably use Alex Wood to get to him. Um, What's what's a realistic ask of Kershaw? How many innings, how many outs is re- is is, uh, is realistic uh, for arguably the best pitcher in baseball, but one who's struggling the postseason, and this would be his third appearance?
7: Yeah, I think that this would be interesting because I think if, if you can get Darvish through five, you might just see straight to Kershaw and then see how good and how long he can go. Uh, if, if you have to go get Darvish before then, then maybe you see Wood or you see Marl or you see somebody – uh, in the middle, trying to get a big out, and then going to Kershaw. I think you're looking at Kershaw for three innings, or maybe more, if if, uh, if you know, depending on how well he's pitching. But I, I think that you're looking at a combination of Darvish and Kershaw, and then you know, Jansen. Uh, if you got Jansen for one inning, uh, you know, if you got a lead going into the ninth, you get Jansen. But I, I really think uh, I'd be surprised to see anybody in the game besides
4: Darvish, Kershaw, and Jansen.
2: Uh, McCullers going tonight. Uh, a guy who we know throws a ton, a ton of breaking balls, and he's been really, really effective with it. What's your expectations for his approach tonight?
7: I mean, that's his bread and butter. I think you'll see a lot of it. Unless, you know, he comes out and the Dodgers seem to be on it more than they were, Um, if they seem to be taking better swings at it, uh, if if it's the fact that they just saw this breaking ball a couple days ago, has uh, has made them have a better approach against it. I think then then you might see some more fastballs and a sprinkling of, of change-ups to lefties. Um, but I think, you know, initially you're going to see that pitch. That's his go-to. That's his, um, you know, he that's where his confidence lies, behind in the count. Again, another guy that you get him in two zero. that doesn't mean you're getting a fastball. That actually probably means you're getting a breaking ball. So um, he's I think he'll go with his strengths until and, and – you know, if the Dodgers show that they're they're taking better swings at it, or, or they're they're uh, maybe looking like they're sitting on it and, and you know late on the fastball, um, but I, I would guess that that'll be that'll be his approach: is to, to win or die. You know, sort of with his uh, with his bread and butter.
2: You didn't play in a, in 2000. You were hurt. Didn't play in Game Seven, uh, but you guys did win. What I'm always and Game Sevens in baseball are a lot like Game Sevens in the NBA, where everybody's gassed. Right. I mean, they're just 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 gas like that bullpen's gas. and That bullpen, everybody's running on fumes. Um, How much can you, though? How much can the emotion of the moment carry you as opposed as as opposed to just sheer fatigue? Because I don't like if you remember, remember when LeBron, they beat the Spurs in game seven on his his last championship with the with the Heat. Like he was the only. You go back and look at the stat sheet. He's the only one who had any gas in the tank. It was a bad basketball game when the Lakers beat the Celtics. Kobe was. He was like seven of twenty-seven or something from the floor. Everybody was out of gas. How much of that fatigue is a factor as a as opposed to just the emotion of the moment and the fact that baseball is different, generating the energy. How much of that can carry you through?
7: Yeah, I think that baseball is different. You know, I think that there's a. You know, there's so much of a lull, and, and there's there's so many opportunities, in, in, unlike basketball, where, you know, the actual physical fatigue of baseball, it's more mental. I mean, these guys are probably more mentally spent than they've ever been in their career. I tell people playing one postseason game mentally is like four regular season games. I mean, just from how important every pitch is and how mentally you know that you have to be locked in so Emotionally and mentally, every pitch. That by the end of a postseason game, never mind a World Series game or even a Game Seven, you're so fatigued mentally after the game. Um, it's 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 almost like you know it's it's unlike anything you've ever felt. And so, I, I think you know from a physical standpoint, these guys will all be going on adrenaline, and and you'll see the best out of all these guys as far as that goes. Um, but I know you know come tomorrow and the next few days, emotionally and mentally. These guys are fried, and they'll be, you know, ready for, for some rest and to be able to just turn it off and, and, and be able to relax a little bit. So I think you'll get a quality product, unlike maybe you see in the NBA or in the NFL, where the physical demand of the sport, um, you know, shows up by the end of it because of how much physical demand there is on the body. Um, but with, in the postseason, you know, we have more off days than we ever have during the season. So I think it's it's a much more emotional fatigue than necessarily a, a physical problem
2: who would have thought three of the past four years we have game sevens last year of course the historic one in chicago and this year this is actually the first game seven in the history of dodger stadium that seems that seems crazy to think of how many games have been played there and how good they have been at the last 60 years since they've been in los angeles but anyway matt listen love that you've uh uh called us and uh, broken down these games for us look forward to wrapping it up with you tomorrow in the meantime uh, we no flag football tonight, right? So just you on your couch. Uh, you on your couch watching baseball, correct?
7: Yeah, yeah. And then probably in my bed at the end. And Barring any sort of uh, quick pitcher's duel, which even if it is, it'll probably still be three
0: hours plus.
2: Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. See you. All right. So now we got everybody set up. Let's go to Dan Byer. Byer, where are you watching tonight?
0: Watching it at home with the wife until Survivor comes on at 8 o'clock local time. No, we'll probably keep it on the game. I would say.
2: You still I didn't know Survivor's still on?
0: Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Still going strong. Yes. Bring me your torch, Doug. Bring me your torch. The tribe has spoken. No, we'll we'll save that for another day. Sitting at home, wife into it, her friends are into it. They're actually texting back and forth about the during the game, so yeah, we'll watch it tonight.
2: You have one TV, two
0: TVs? Uh just one. We'll just have the one in them in our but you mean. have one in the bedroom, right?
2: Yeah, one in the bedroom. They say it's a bad idea. Like uh, Tom Brady has no TV in the bedroom. There's a lot of people with no TV in the bedroom. Like, I don't know. I got to have a TV in my bedroom. Yes,
0: it's- yes. You got one in the loft as well. Actually, two in the loft because that's where we watch football on, on the weekends. But uh, we'll be watching Game 7 tonight on the main screen downstairs as the Astros and Dodgers play coverage at 7.30 Eastern time. Dodgers have their lineup set. Logan Forsythe playing second base tonight, hitting seventh. Much of the same for the Dodgers in the lineup as they face Lance McCullers. Hugh Darvish on the mound for L.A. Dodgers looking for their seventh World Series title in franchise history. Astros looking for number one. Some NFL notes dug to pass along. The Denver Broncos have named Brock Osweiler as their starting quarterback for Sunday's game at Philadelphia. He replaces Trevor Simeon. Jameis Winston's been dealing with a shoulder injury. He was able to throw at practice today, something that he hasn't done the last two weeks despite playing on Sundays. Patriots have signed free agent quarterback Brian Hoyer to a three-year deal, and the Dolphins got Jay Cutler back at practice today dealing with those fractured ribs. College Football News Championship site. For the college football playoff, have now been set through 2024. Miami, Indianapolis, LA, and Houston will all get the games from 2021 through 2024. College Hoops News Duke sits atop the AP College Hoops Top 25 poll. Preseason poll, of course. Former Duke Julio Okafor, the Sixers, wants to be traded or of his contract brought, uh, bought
2: out by the team. Hmm. Hmm. All right, uh, upcoming next, why the Broncos are going back to the future and could Peyton Manning be returning to the NFL? I'll explain next. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. New or used, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car-buying experience. Doug Gottlieb, show Fox Sports Radio. Uh, I want to talk some Game 7 at the top of the hour. Okay, what I want you guys to do, eight seven seven ninety nine on fox I want you to rack your brain. Everybody always says, like, oh, Game 7, the greatest, the best. All right, let's, like, think, like, how good were they? Which ones do you remember? And I, I will also tell you, like, kind of spoiled sports fans. We had the greatest comeback in the history of the Super Bowl. We're coming off of Game 7 in baseball. Uh, I will grant you that last year's NBA Finals weren't great, but it was the two best teams, and we waited for them all along. But the year before, we had Game 7. Like, we've had a lot of, we had the uh, North Carolina Villanova. And then this year, Gonzaga versus North Carolina. Like, great games in our championship games, in our championship tournaments. And all of these things have been really competitive. It hasn't always been this way. There was a good stretch of 20 years to which we had, like, two or three competitive Super Bowls. Plenty of World Series have and more. The World Series have generally been competitive, but this one, I think, the Dodgers' story and then the talent of the Astros and the fact that we do have the two best teams have both been really good. Um, but there's been lots of World Series that we haven't paid attention to, like if you sprinkle in between the in between the uh, Red Sox winning theirs, Red Sox, Yankees stuff, Red Sox winning theirs, the Cardinals. Rangers, that one I'm specific. That one because the Cardinals were down their last strike twice when Game Seven, and then the Cubs. Like, there's a lot of other World Series to which I would tell you the teams, and you're like, oh yeah. "Oh yeah, I kind of forgot about that." Anyway, we'll uh, we'll get those memories going at the top of the hour every day. About this time, we like to bring back a portion of one of the previous shows on Fox Sports Radio or on our XM series. Channel 83 uh, station, we call it. And now, <laughs> say? earlier today, Albert Breer, in addition to me, I was on the herd. Albert Breer had this to say about the Cleveland. Excuse me, about the um, Denver Broncos quarterback situation. Excuse me, the the Browns and Peyton Manning,
8: the two veteran quarterbacks that Hugh Jackson wanted the Browns to take a look at in February and March were AJ McCarron and Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, they didn't make a run at Jimmy Garoppolo before the trade deadline. He goes to San Francisco, and then they botched a trade for A.J. McCarron. So this thing's already a little sideways between coaching and scouting, and that's why Jimmy Haslam, I think, even though his intention was to let these guys have a few years, Jimmy Haslam's going to have to look at his organization again and maybe look at the idea of bringing in a football czar. You know one guy who he's very close with who could fit that description, right, Colin? Who? Peyton Manning wow jimmy haslam has a very very close relationship with peyton manning if coaching and scouting isn't aligned in the right way the answer will be to go in and bring in a football czar we know peyton manning has a desire to play that kind of role i do know that's a very close confidant of jimmy haslam's jimmy haslam's a huge university of tennessee booster and peyton manning would probably be the first guy on his list if he were looking to bring a guy in to head the organization and set the agenda
2: that would be incredible wouldn't it now peyton of course has been linked to ownership rumors in Tennessee. That's always been thought to being his dream setup where he could own and run that. But if that, op- if that opportunity doesn't present itself, why not go take over Cleveland? Why not? And then you mix the analytics of what you're doing in the front office with coaching, and slowly but surely he would bring in kind of his own guys and put his own spin on it. But that, that has to be what Peyton Manning wants to do, right? Remember, he was going around to training camps this year during training camp, visiting everybody. He has, he has, every year he's pursued about TV opportunities. He could be the lead guy on any network, even CBS as much as they love Romo. It's only because Peyton's turned them down two or three times over per year. So that must mean he still wants a foothold in football, and this would be his way to do it. He didn't want to coach. He wanna be a general manager. He wants to be a football czar. He even likes the sound of football czar. All right. Also, um, uh also I, I think that that though the NFL looks bad, I mean they do, they look bad in this deal. Um At the end of it, it was still the Cleveland Browns that somehow butchered this ability to acquire A.J. McCarron. But because they butchered the chance to get A.J. McCarron, they told the world that they're in the quarterback market. They haven't been able to accurately evaluate the quarterback market, passing on Carson Wentz, passing on Deshaun Watson, passing several times over on Derek Carr as well. No matter who's running the place, they've made poor decisions at quarterback. Who would know it better than one of the great quarterbacks of anybody's lifetime in Peyton Manning? That's well, Why it all makes sense. Ah! What
1: does the Fox say?
2: All right, you know what we told you about the Denver Broncos yesterday. If you're not coming out in full support of your quarterback, it's because he's no longer your quarterback. And Brock Osweiler gets another shot to be the Broncos starting quarterback. Trevor Simien just wasn't good enough. Osweiler's sitting there and uh, I guess it's because Paxton Lynch isn't healthy. Maybe it's because Paxton Lynch isn't any good. Regardless of which, what if Brock Osweiler actually does a good job? And he doesn't have to do a great job. He could just do a good job and could be an upgrade. Solid is an upgrade over what they've had at the position of quarterback. Now he's going to have to do it in Philadelphia against the Eagles, albeit the Eagles, remember, lost their starting middle linebacker for the season. And then they got the Patriots at home, the Bengals at home, before traveling to the Raiders and the Dolphins. But for Brock Osweiler, who took a couple million dollars more to cash in the equity to go to Houston, that didn't work out. Then in Cleveland for a hot minute, that didn't work out. Now he's back in Denver. This is Brock Osweiler's last shot. Last shot. because They still have Paxton Lynch, who they still, I'm sure, want to give another opportunity to. But Osweiler on the road against the Eagles with a pretty good running game. And a line that's not terrible and an outstanding defense. This is the last best shot. Last best shot. Um, you guys know I like to cook, right? Like you guys know this. And it's kind of cool outside thinking I've just got a text from my wife. What do we want to make and eat tonight during game seven? Suggestions, Ramos.
3: Uh I would say maybe a little uh, hamburger hot dogs, kind of a baseball go go, Ameri- staple. go, go, go Americana. Yep, yeah, Americana. Go
2: Americana music.
5: You can never go wrong with some barbecue, maybe some like chicken or tri tip. And then that way you can just sort of like very, put very it Cal- on. Very
2: California of him to recommend the, the tri tip, right? It's a very it's a very California, you know, almost a central coast thing. Like you gotta go with the tri-tip, bro. Go the tri tip, tip.
5: You can't go wrong with tri tip. You
2: cannot go wrong with tri tip. Cut off a little tri tip, make some steak tacos. We already had taco night this week. I made a chicken over the weekend. Huh. Thinking maybe some flats, some flap steak is a, is a possibility. I, I kind of need some suggestions here. I'm kind of kind of stuck. Or we just order out. The problem with barbecue is it feels like, and I know that Houston isn't necessarily like a true representative of all things Texas, but can you go with kind of Texas food when you're cheering for the Dodgers, right? I like so far the leader in the clubhouse is Ramos's idea: Americano, hot dogs, hamburgers. Although I do like the idea of ordering out and not having to deal with any of it, right? I don't know. Buyer, what what what's your? Uh...
0: You should order some Papa Johns. They're probably not busy. <laughs> Could do that. I would say with the garlic the sauce. sauce. I would vote against. I would vote against the barbecue because I think you'd already have to start it. You know, like if you were gonna maybe have some chicken, maybe you'd like to marinate it throughout the afternoon. Yeah, we're
2: not doing the barbecue. Yeah, but we could order barbecue. There's no reason that we couldn't pick up. Barbecue.
0: That's true. That's true. You yeah. want Maybe some nice nachos.
2: Nachos are good. I make great nachos. You want to know the key to the big the nachos? The homemade nachos. Okay, you lay like down. No, yeah, but you have to put the cheese. Uh, You got to put chips, cheese, then chips, more cheese. Okay. You know, plus you got to put beans in there. You got to put some jalapenos in there. You got to put some other stuff in there. But you got to layer the cheese. You can't expect the cheese to just fall through. Game sevens you can actually remember. I'll give you mine next in the Doug Gottlieb Show. What up? It's the Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. You know, there's natural ways and unnatural ways to decide championships. Um, And baseball has always struggled with it. I think the NFL is probably, uh, is one that's probably the best and most uh, most appropriate, right? Uh, the problem with the NFL is a lot of times, and last year is a perfect case example, right? Dolphins didn't have their starting quarterback. Raiders didn't have their starting quarterback. And so it wasn't a true representation of who they were once they got to the playoffs. But when you have a 16-game season and then it takes, uh, was it three games or four games to win a Super Bowl? There's at least a, a proportionality to it that makes kind of sense. Uh, college basketball, it's not a true representation of who the best team is. There's some randomness to it. College football not even close. They're getting better, but not close. I mean we all know we all know that the the, the best way to do it is an eight team playoff. The five big conferences all get uh, your your conference champion in then you have three at large bids that's what you do the problem with it is just too many damn games and you can't go back in college football like what no one ever says is hey let's cut back let's cut off those uh, guarantee games the games against the southwest northwest louisiana southern right those games you can't cut off because even if you said hey we're only going to we're going to cut it off for a championship one last game well, remember um the the major the Washingtons, the Nebraskas. Nebraska makes a couple million dollars. Plus, that's the lifeblood of the college town. The lifeblood of an athletic department is the money they get from their TV partner. But of the town, it's the university. And the best thing a university can do is have visitors. And the best weekend for those visitors is a home football weekend. Everybody comes back in town, fills up the hotels, fills up the restaurant, fills up the bars fills up the coffers seven times a year. You're going to cut off one of those for 18 so that eight teams can play in a playoff. No, but if you have too many games now, suddenly you won't have anybody healthy at the end of those playoffs. Baseball's hard. It's 162 games, 162 games. You get like 16, 18 days off. And then all of a sudden some baseball team season are decided on one game, that, that wild card game. Then you have a five-game playoff, then you have a seven-game playoff, then you have another seven-game playoff. Like, ooh. But by now, we're pretty sure we got the two best teams. And now it's just a one-game. Now it kind of works. Right? Like the wild card game doesn't really work in terms of determining who the better team is. World Series game seven does because the wild card game, you're like, well, do I pitch this guy? Cause I might have the whole playoffs. Do I go for the win now? How do I do it? One hot pitcher. Now we've seen everything both teams have. We've even seen saw them dust off Francisco Liriano last night, finally, for the Houston Astros. Now it's all hands on deck and you just play to win a game. There literally is no tomorrow. And I think you get a little bit better product than you, you get when you get NBA Game 7, which you're just exhausted. You're just exhausted. So I guess here's what, what I want to do here is, what Game 7s do you actually remember? Because everybody said, oh, Game 7's the best. And please don't say hockey because, just don't say it. Don't say 1912 Red Sox Giants 10 innings. Oh, man, that was amazing. I have one that was probably the most interesting that you guys aren't thinking of, and it's because of location. Uh, let's start, Dan Beyer, Tell me your your most memorable game seven.
0: In, bas- Beyer, in basketball, I mean, Cavs Warriors from just a couple of years ago was amazing. But
2: you know what's 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 memorable about, or what's not memorable about that is nobody could make a shot the last couple of minutes.
0: <laughs> I just said that to John Ramos, and I said right when you thought. The Warriors were going to LeBron comes in with the block, and that's what even added to it and made that play so special. But of the of the of the baseball game sevens, to be honest, I wasn't. I was calling a high school football game in two thousand four of the ALCS, and when Johnny Damon, our producer, told me in my ear that Johnny Damon hit a grand slam, like I didn't even watch that game, Doug, and that completed the you know comeback from down 3-0. So. That two thousand four in a game that I didn't see. But other than that, um two thousand one Diamondbacks and Yankees.
2: I was thinking two thousand one Diamondbacks Yankees. Two thousand one Diamondbacks Yankees to me was that's like an iconic one. Yeah. That and it there's some similarities to this series, right? Because uh if you remember that series, first uh you had they had traded for they had Kurt Schilling and they had Randy Johnson. So they had brought in they brought in Randy Johnson mid-year, I believe, right? So they had, that's like bringing in Verlander. Uh, in And then there was very little confidence in the closer of the Diamondbacks, Young Young Kim. Mm-hmm. But kind of similarly, you had one kind of historic franchise in the Yankees, and then you had one team that played in some ridiculous dome with ridiculous hats, that, which is kind of what Houston is. And I know Houston's been around a long time, but they're really thought of as an NL team an NL West team. They were so bad a couple years ago. That dome is ridiculous. And it's built to look like it's some old time baseball park. of it was new. They don't open it up. They got the short left field porch. They took out the Hill, like all of that stuff. There is some similarities there. John Ramos.
3: I just want to say about that, uh, is because nine 11 happened that year. And I think, I think the majority of the country was rooting for the Yankees. I, I know I was just because it was New York and I wanted them to win. And so I, I, never have rooted for the Yankees before and never rooted for them since. But in that series, I do really believe that America was behind the Yankees to win. And unfortunately they lost, which was kind of anticlimactic. But um, anyway, that's just America. America,
2: America. All right. What's the, what's the game uh, sevens you remember?
3: Mine was uh 1988 NLCS just because the Dodgers and or you, you can't go. You
2: uh, can't go NLA. Cause the, 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 oh. the most memorable uh, to me in terms of game sevens was uh, in terms of a, a, a CS would have to be Red Sox Yankees.
3: Okay, then I'll just pick one NBA Finals, and that was the Celtics, the Lakers beating the Celtics. I remember that. Game. Which one? Uh, 2010, the last one where it was just a bad fourth quarter, and then for some reason the the Lakers and Ron Artest just turned it up and came back to beat. And they were down three games to two in that series. They had to win both games at home. So game seven, to me, for me, that I was here too at Fox Sports Radio in the editing bay. And I was doing no work. We were just <laughs> watching the game. We were supposed to be editing the game and putting highlights in. We did none of that. We just Lakers watched the game.
2: Pistons of 1988 was pretty spectacular. That was a game seven. That was Lakers Isaiah one. Thomas was injured,
3: right? And he was Isaiah Thomas around. got
2: hurt. I thought in game six he right. was unbelievable. In game seven he was in fact hobbling around. Uh, uh, Ryan Music, who's only 15 years old, so he does not have the the data really to support coming any, and,
5: fresh off my 15th birthday. Thank yes, you very much. Yes. What do you got? Uh, I will go most sentimental would be the Angels when they won in 2002.
2: Remember, they trailed three games to two as well. Yes. And even in game seven, they were down big, right?
5: Uh, no, game six was game the six. comeback. Game six yeah. was the comeback. Um, so I remember that, but in terms of like actually being fully aware of like the intricacies of the game, I'll just go with last year's game seven. And I remember when I was watching the game and seeing Aroldis Chapman pitch – and just looking at his body language, going, I can't imagine how much pain he's in right now, because when he he looked, it like hurt he, him for half the season. Like he was yeah.
2: awful for a good portion of this season, and that's a big. He looked big like he, reason why
5: looked like he had dead arm. Like he just didn't want to be out there. So I'll go. I'll go with some recency bias based off of last season.
2: Yeah. No. Look, we've had some really good ones as of late. We've had some really, really good ones as of late uh, in Major League Baseball. Um, you know, to me, last season was good, and the rain delay and the supposed Jason Hayward speech. Although I will say that I felt like the the Indians were just completely out of gas. They just were. They were the the fact the Indians were even in that series was nothing short of remarkable. 0-1 uh, with the walk off single off of Marion Rivera by uh, Luis Gonzalez is that that's the best game seven I can re- like. I'm old enough to remember. Like the problem with like Marlins Indians in '97 is nobody, you know, as good as the Marlins were talent wise. Go back and look at, at all the guys that they had there, and as good, frankly, as the Indians were, it's like it's Marlins Indians for whatever reason doesn't, you know, <laughs> yeah. you,
0: you know what I mean? Yeah, and and the with comparing it to Yankees Diamondbacks, the Mariano Rivera versus Jose Mesa argument. Okay, you know Rivera's arguably, you know, best closer great, of all time. Great, closer of all time. Yes, and they have a lead. Now, both Indians had a lead as well in the ninth inning and, and lost it there, but the Diamondbacks actually won it in the bottom half of that inning. So in that span of the three outs that the Yankees were trying to get, the Diamondbacks went from losers to winners. That other game went to extra, so they tied it and then ended up winning it later on. And I think the full drama of that ninth inning with Randy Johnson coming in after pitching and and that whole that – that's why it trump's 1997 for me.
2: Agreed there. Uh people forget that Mets Red Sox uh was not a great game. The Red Sox did have an early 3-0 lead. That was the game after the ball went through Buckner's legs. That was the game the ball went through Buckner's legs in game yeah. 6. There was still a game 7 to be played.
0: The other yeah, and now that you mention that, 91 Twins Braves, Jack Morris um what, 10 scoreless innings? Mhm. Um that probably <laughs> I mean
2: there's been some bad yeah. ones. Rangers, Cardinals. Uh, uh, we we talked about it with Matt Holiday earlier. If you missed that interview, you can download it, part of our podcast. Game six was an all timer, right? Uh, but uh, but but game seven was not. Cardinals won six to two. Rangers lost that game in, and I think that's a little bit where Holiday's bias is too, right? Where you're one strike away twice as the Rangers were. Now you go to a game seven on the road. You're like, Yeah, not a ton left. And and to your point. Um, 2002 Angels-Giants. It was uh, five runs, I think, in the eighth inning, maybe, of Game 6. Anyway, uh, John Lackey went five innings, and they went to K-Rod and Troy Percival. K-Rod was the setup man, Troy Percival, Brendan Donnelly. Uh, they they shut down the Giants, who really didn't do anything. And then there have been some bad ones, some really bad Game 7s as well. So, look, fant- it, it's I'm most intrigued by the Kershaw thing. Because I think the guy's awesome. And it's really hard to go, well, he's affected by pressure. Okay, if he's affected by pressure, why was he so good in game one? On the other hand, he got lit up in game five. But I love, like this is, it's like the best thing about baseball is you have time to set the story, to catch your breath, to watch mono mono mano can you get somebody out? And now you're running on fumes. You don't have your best stuff. It's not in the best weather. You're doing something you don't normally do in terms of throwing out of the pen. I guess we'll find out. That Game 7 discussion, I I believe that Holiday said he thinks Kershaw could go three innings. It could go you Darvish to Kershaw. I think they will be Alex Wood. I think they will be, but I do think Kershaw will pitch and they will try and get him close the door. Seven, eight, nine type of area. Uh, That game seven discussion brought to you by True Car. You can find out what other people in your area pay for the same car you're looking for. New or used, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Hall of Famer John Smoltz joins us upcoming next. We'll get his thoughts on the game. Are the Dodgers now the favorites? Who should the Dodgers go to out of the pen? How can you, Darvish, be better? And, oh, yeah, Lance McCullers has been nasty with that breaking ball. How much does the weather change everything? Find out next. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area pay for the same car you're looking for and on average save over 3000 off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Doug Gottlieb show, Fox Sports Radio, getting you ready for... Game seven of the World Series. Who knows better about game seven of the World Series than one of the great pitchers of our generation and become one of the great broadcasters of our generation. Of course, talking about John Smoltz, who did start at game seven, which is more known for Jack Morris pitching 10 scoreless innings in a one-nothing shout-out. And John Smoltz joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Look, I know you've accomplished a ton, but being a part of a game and you didn't pitch poorly, what do you remember about that game?
4: It was everything I dreamed of as a kid. I tell people all the time, I think sometimes you, you think everybody thinks this way as an athlete. And I, I disagree. I've been around enough that don't necessarily think about pitching 107th games as a kid like I did in Lansing, Michigan. And I remember going out there. i just come off a of Game 7 shutout against the Pirates to get to a Game 7 World Series dream come true. That year, I didn't give up a single run in 16 and plus innings, but only won one game. So the ending wasn't what I dreamed of. But everything in the game, my body, my, my heartbeat, everything was right where it needed to be, even on the road. So those both coming on the road, I probably pitched at home in Lansing, Michigan, a lot more than I did on the road as a kid.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by all these guys reaching out to Dave Roberts and telling him, Skip, I can go. It got Brendan Morrow in trouble in game five where he's like, I'm, I'm good. And he six pitches later, he gave up four runs. Uh, Give him a day off, and he was good. Kershaw told him he was good to go. Uh, I'm like, look, I understand the ego of a great professional athlete. I'm ready to go. I would always say yes. But does anybody ever say no in these situations? No, I just don't have it.
4: Uh, You don't hear of them, uh, that's for sure. But I think, you know, you understand a game seven. I think that my general problem with baseball lately is there seems to be too many game sevens being managed. In other words, it's not game seven, it's game two or game one or game three. And it's just such the propensity to get guys in in so many different situations. And uncharacteristically, at the time when it matters the most, putting guys in uncomfortable situations and asking them to be successful. So in a game seven, you always know that's going to be the case. Everyone's going to come to the park. Let me see how I feel. I can do it. The worst decision I ever made, I ever made, was telling my manager I can pitch in game six. I, I got the save in game two. I pitched seven, eight innings in game four. And in game six, I let the adrenaline and everything and the machismo of saying I would be ready. And I gave up four runs and almost, you know, cost us the series. So you have to temper that as a manager and trust the certain players you can trust. And then in a perfect world, try to manage the game as close to the best as you can. I know that's hard. I know their second guess in nature is off the charts, but the team that plays this game closer to the vest, in my opinion, will win.
2: Okay, so let's start with the Dodgers. You Darvish is going out there. And um, if you had to look kind of scatter report or the general, feel like he's he has elite stuff in baseball in comparison to uh, what, the, what the Astros are throwing out there. Uh, what are your thoughts on what Darvish has to do differently this time?
4: Well, he's got to have better touch with his breaking ball. I don't know if it was the baseballs. I don't know. You know, he had tipping problems in the past where they were he was tipping pitches. I don't think that was the problem. I just think he ran into a lineup without his best stuff, and he's got great numbers against the Astros in theory on the year. So he just has to deal with the mindset that that game two or game three was a fluke, and I'm going to make the adjustments at my bullpen, and I'm going to make better secondary stuff. He's got the best breaking balls in America from a right-handed pitcher With a variety of ways to throw it, so uh, if he commands that, it's going to be a tough, tough go for the for the Astros lineup because of what he can do spinning the baseball.
2: I know it's a feel thing, and you got to go by your gut if you're Dave Roberts. But if it was John Smoltz in that dugout, uh, what would be the order of who you turn to and why?
4: You know, I, I think when you think of what the Dodgers have, the biggest biggest guy that I want to utilize literally the biggest guy is Kenley Jansen and when do I maximize that moment because that's the problem in a game seven you typically want to close it out with him but he may not have that luxury and in being able to assess the situation of score and moment I think you got to have that guy available from the seventh inning on and There's going to be a lot of starters used in this game. There's going to be a record amount of starters used in this game. And I'm not saying that they're all going to be able to do what they hope to do because it's a little uncharacteristic. But I think the lineup and the five right-handers in a row for the Astros are going to go a long way to determine whether Morrow and Jansen continue to have the success against them. That's what Roberts is going to be looking to do.
2: What about Kershaw?
4: Kershaw, I would imagine, has got to be the toughest decision for Roberts in this sense. He's got the weight of the world on him. He's the best pitcher in the world. And he's going to pitch in this game, you would think. But it may not be out of the possibility to close with him. And what I mean by that is just what I said about Jansen, having to use him earlier because the, the game calls for it. You might have to keep Kershaw in like he did in against the Nationals to close out a couple outs or an out. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens.
2: You know, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm always fascinated by this. Uh, you've been both a starter – and a reliever, a closer, Uh, but seeing as Kershaw is, in fact, a a starter who has come out of the bullpen in the playoffs in the past, is it better to start an inning? Like, does it make a difference to come in, you know, like, you know, when he's come out of the game in the past, leadoff, walk, whatever, you bring him in, does it make a difference whether or not Kershaw starts an inning or not?
4: I think it does. I I would, that would be my rule as a manager. If I can help it, I would like to have my starters come out of the pen fresh. I'm using a reliever to get out of a, uh, of a middle of an inning, and then I'm using my starter to start the inning. That is the best formula, I think, for success so you don't really throw them doubly in an uncomfortable situation. You know, I mean, there's so many things in sports we do in a way that enhances success or, or, or challenges uh, to not not be successful, and I think when you just say anybody can do it, I think you're doing a disservice to that to those people, and and I've tried to tell people all the time, whether it's the analytical world or, or people who just don't understand what information comes out of a computer, you kind of try to put it on their level of understanding uh, so that it it makes more sense because it just seems like it's too easy to do when when they plug it plug in the information and go, well, why can't this guy do this? There's a reason, and uh, it's like in the TV world. You do TV all the time, and you know how to do it. And then all of a sudden, we say, "All right, do TV." You can't use the teleprompter. It, it's different. It's harder, and and it makes you uncomfortable. And that's what athlete, that's what athletes go through as well.
2: John Smoltz joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show, lead analyst for Fox coverage tonight, Game Seven of the World Series, of course, at Dodger Stadium, just after five o'clock West Coast time, eight o'clock East Coast time why why, are the, why are the Astros hitting so differently on the road? Like, I understand the weather is different, the dome being closed, that short porch, but the ball is just jumping off their bats differently here. The amount of contact is different than it has been in Houston. Why do you think that is?
4: Yeah, it's a great question, and it's happened multiple times to a couple teams. You know, look, there's so much going on in the game today where – You have to worry about things you never used to worry about. I mean, you're given multiple signs with nobody on. They're worried about everybody getting, stealing signs, given location. You're more comfortable at home, creatures of habit. But if it weren't for game two, obviously waking up and coming back in that historic game two here, we would be talking about what you're saying. And the Astros were shut down by the Yankees. They were shut down by the Dodgers. Look, the Dodgers have really been shut down at home, too, except for the sixth innings. They've scored twice, all three home games in the sixth inning, and ultimately was their major scoring uh, until that crazy game, two an extra inning. So those are things tough to figure out. Um, you know, I, I just think there's, there's a lot of young players, and really between these two teams, you got to remember only three participants in World Series before this series started.
2: Um, what about to AJ Hinch out of the bullpen? I don't think his puzzle is as easy to complete. Uh, you know, Giles is no longer <laughs> part of what, like he, he's not, we didn't even see him. Like, I not did he even make the trip? Um, but, and then some of his bullpen is taxed. What do you think he does? If in fact, he has to go get McCullers.
4: I think it's all starters. I think he has a great chance to pitch this game with all starters. Uh, he's going to have Keiko. He's going to have Morton. Morton could follow. Um, McCullers, then you've got Keichel, uh, and you were gonna have Verlander available. I mean that's gonna be that's gonna be the interesting choice. You know, adrenaline as the game goes on will make you feel like you're more apt to close a game with like a Verlander per se. But uh, the only chance maybe where he goes to a reliever is as we mentioned, maybe even Larry will get one left hander out so his starter can start an inning.
6: Yeah, that, but that I would, think that, unlike
4: that, any other series we've ever seen, this is going to be. I said before the game started, there could be six to seven starters pitching in this game, and who would ever think that would have been the case with two great teams going to Game Seven?
2: I thought that was really smart that he got uh, Lariano in there late l- l- last night just to give him a look because he didn't have any other lefty coming out of the pen, and he to win tonight you may have to have him come and get a lefty out of the pen. Correct?
4: No doubt. This is the strangest World Series for me as a player. I understood certain guys will slump and struggle with the pressure at times. But to have this many of them between two teams really hit the skids at the wrong time has handcuffed the manager, has basically said, I can't go to this guy unless. And that has been so strange to see. And with an era where there's so much bullpenning talk and so much relievers being thrown in, this is the byproduct sometimes that runs into it. I, I've, I've often said, be careful what you wish for. The more guys you ask to come in a game, the yep. more chances that one of those guys are not going to be as good as advertised.
2: Um, well, two World Series for you to call from Fox and two Game 7s. You are a good luck charm. By the way, World Series Game 6 had more than 23 million viewers across Fox. Fox Deportes and streaming on Fox Sports Go, making it the second most watched Game 6 since 2009, of course, it's is the 20th overall year of Fox covering the World Series. You'll hear John Smoltz alongside Joe Buck and a cast of thousands out at Dodger Stadium. Great job so far. Best of luck on the call tonight. We look forward to you calling the last baseball game of the season.
4: Thank you. And for me, it's come full circle. This is how long the year has been. I called the Board Baseball Classic Championship here in L.A., and now it seems like two years later I'm getting a chance to be part of Game 7 back in L.A., Pretty, uh, pretty, or unreal.
2: Well, it's been it's been great to watch. You've been outstanding. Thanks so much.
4: All right, thanks for having
2: me. Uh, it's John Smoltz joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. So good, so good. Uh, it's interesting because like Harold and uh, Verducci were like co-analysts for a year, and before that, it was McCarver forever. And I would contend that this is the best broadcasting team we've ever had calling the World Series. Just he's a cheat code. Total cheat code. Let's bring in Dan Beyer. Dan, what else is going on other than game seven of the World Series?
0: Well, lots of stuff from the NFL. Teams getting back to practice, getting set for week nine in the NFL season. And when the Denver Broncos are practicing, it's Brock Osweiler taking first team reps. He's been named the starter today for their game against the Eagles. So Trevor Simeon heads to the bench. Osweiler should have another target available as Emmanuel Sanders was able to practice today returning from a sprained ankle. The New England Patriots have signed free agent quarterback Brian Hoyer to a three-year deal. He was released after the 49ers acquired Jimmy Garoppolo in a trade with New England. There are reports that the Green Bay Packers were interested in Hoyer as well, but he ends up going back to New England. Jameis Winston has had a shoulder issue that's bothered him for the last few weeks. In fact, he hasn't thrown in practice until Friday the last couple of weeks but was on the practice field throwing today. Dolphins quarterback Jay Cutler was on the practice field. He was returning from fractured ribs that cost him week eight against the Baltimore Ravens. Some college football news, the playoff championship sites for the, yes, college football playoff have been determined through 2024, so the national championship game in 2021 will be held in Miami. After that, it will go to Indianapolis, then L.A., and then Houston in 2024. In college basketball, Duke sits atop the preseason AP top 25 pole Michigan State is second with Arizona Kansas and Kentucky rounding out the top five one of the big surprises in the NBA Doug so far the season the Memphis Grizzlies Mike Conley and Marcus Saul, game time decisions for tonight's matchup against Orlando because of injuries they
2: are a surprise super surprising team I mean almost almost stunning team if you really kind of want to get uh, get down to it uh, anyway uh, that was the great stuff from you and for that with John Smoltz you miss John Smoltz you miss Matt Holiday download the Doug Gottlieb show podcast which is available as soon as we finish. Talked a little bit about the Browns. You know, we we haven't talked a ton about is um, what exactly it looks like for the quarterbacks that are still in college. Now think about this for a second. We came into the season thinking Jets need a quarterback, came into the season thinking Niners need a quarterback, came into the season thinking Browns probably need a quarterback, although they have Deshaun Kaiser. Now start to kind of look around the league. Now, I don't think the Jets quarterback situation is set with Josh McCown, but they haven't been an abject disaster. Uh, It does feel like the Dolphins are going to need a quarterback or need to think about a quarterback. The Giants at some point are going to have to replace Eli, but I don't know if that is imminent. The Broncos may be in the market for a quarterback. They got 3 and none of whom they seem to have a ton of faith in. But the bad teams in this league, by and large, I mean Cardinals should be in the market for the replacement to Carson Palmer, right? But the bad teams in this league, by and large, Giants are the Giants notwithstanding, they they all have a they 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 have a quarterback. It feels like the market could be shrinking for that quarterback position. Like the Bills have been able to make it work with Tyrod Taylor. The Jets would probably need one, would probably like to get one if they get one of the top picks. But I I can't tell. Actually, I can tell. One of the two things are possible, and they both may actually be true. The Niners bailing on the quarterback race tells you what they think of the quarterbacks, but also could tell you that they know that Donald's not coming out. And, like, look, Rosen, there are questions about – I know Jim Morrow went off on – who did he go off on? It was Brock Heward, right? Went off on Brock Heward, who – who um, who who questioned his toughness. But there have been questions about Rosen's toughness, Rosen's leadership, Rosen's overall arm. And, like, Josh Allen has made some plays. He's not surrounded by a bunch of talent. There are people who think he's like Carson Wentz. There are people who think he's just he's too inaccurate. But without the surefire answers, the best answer might be, you know, second-round pick for a quarterback, a guy that's already trained under Tom Brady for three or four years, that's pretty good. And honestly, the Browns thought of, we can't get Garoppolo. We're better off getting McCarron than going and drafting another quarterback and wasting our first-round pick, to which we need to protect whatever asset we require. That's pretty good. But it also tells you what these guys think of the college quarterbacks, which is fascinating because college quarterbacks have come in and performed quite well, like Deshaun Watson. So it's interesting to track that. Just like it's interesting to track, I don't think you can go crazy about the college football rankings. Such a mistake. Oh, look, all they're telling you is we're paying attention to the fact that Oklahoma, Ohio State, these teams in comparison to Wisconsin have played people, have played people. We're paying attention to the fact that we think Notre Dame is pretty good and Georgia beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. And so right now they might be a little overrated, but that'll equal even out. So let's see what the Irish still have Miami. They still have Stanford, but they are telling you that if Notre Dame wins out Notre Dame's probably going to play in the college football playoff, which I can't say is the wrong decision. And uh, so, look, I think that they've said a couple things quite clearly. No losses doesn't really matter. Who'd you beat does matter. And they remember, for example, that Oklahoma beat Ohio State. They remember that. Absolutely remember that. And I also think that they do something that we do a bad job of in basketball. In the basketball selection committee, so oftentimes we talk about wins and losses and top 50 and blah, 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 blah. When you know what the only thing that matters is, find me the best teams. And the college football committee, what they need to do when they answer these questions every week or at the end of the college football playoff selection committee is like, hey, we thought this would work because we thought these were the four best teams in college football. Period. End of story. What does Cam Newton think about losing his tallest and maybe best wide receiver? Find out next. With true car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for new or used visit true car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Doug Gottlieb show Fox sports radio. So much to get to today, man. It's just like, didn't even talk NBA, which is kind of interesting on how the Cavs are already having players only meetings. Uh, the Thunder going in and thumping, thumping the Milwaukee Bucks last night. I still think Paul George has some, yeah, he got fit in a little bit better. He's kind of getting used to it. But Carmelo's been really, really good. And Russell Westbrook has been really, really good uh, with Carmelo and with Paul George. So I'm like, look, if it was, if the season ended today, Warriors would be the the best team and the Thunder would be the team most likely to, to play them in the Western Conference Finals. It's a long season, but it's fascinating to watch the kind of evolution of these teams.
4: The
1: press,
2: press, brought to you by Car. You can find out what other people in your area pay for the same car you're looking for, or new or used. Visit TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Dan Beyer, what Byer, what do you got?
0: Oh gosh, I want to dive in on the flip side of that. You know, as a Bucks fan, it's amazing to think that people think a that Giannis can continue at this pace for an 82 game season which then goes to the point of the help that he doesn't have around him and it is just amazing and you saw it last night they they don't have any rim protectors at all on defense steven adams had a field day yeah still some holes in milwaukee
2: i'll give you you something else that's interesting is i said this at the time you guys can tell me if if i said the opposite when the pacers traded paul george people crushed that trade and i was like hey I don't love Victor Oladipo, but I like him, and those contracts seems to be huge in comparison to other contracts. It's actually reasonable for a starter, and Sabonis is a starter. So you get two starters from Paul George who didn't want to be there. They're both young, not yet in their prime, and Sabonis is on a rookie mm-hmm. contract. I thought it was a pretty good trade, and you know what? The Pacers aren't terrible. They're 4-3, and three, and both of them are, in fact, in the starting lineup.
0: Every team that trades a star wants the first overall pick in the next draft as well. Obviously. Not going to happen. Game 7 tonight is going to happen in L.A. Doug, how about this? The parade. And I know you got to plan these things, but L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti said that the plan right now, if the Dodgers win, is championship parade on Friday. Of course, they got to get through the Astros tonight in Game oh, wow. 7. Logan Forsythe playing second base for the Dodgers, batting seventh. Astros lineup remains the same.
2: Uh, wait, wait, wait. So the parade would be Friday? Yes, and then when's the Astros parade? Have they announced when their parade would be? Um, no, I haven't heard from if any plans have leaked. Oh wow! But do you think it's bad form for that parade news to
0: get out? No, you have to. I mean, it's you know, you can't. You got to
2: plan for something like that, right? Yeah, I don't think guaranteeing wins and praying parades are bad things because everybody thinks their team's going to win, and and and, oh, and, and 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 you have to prepare. You have to prepare for par- the, the reality of the second largest city in the United States is. You can't just go like, hey, tomorrow we're having a parade.
3: Okay. Like, just does not.
2: Yeah. It, it doesn't work. That You may think it works that way, and in my world it would work that way. Oh, yeah, by the way, tomorrow we're having a parade. It doesn't work that way in real life. Mm-hmm. Moving on to
0: the NFL, Bengals head coach Marvin Lewis told reporters today that he was relieved the A.J. McCarron trade with Cleveland didn't go through. So he's happy to have A.J. McCarron back. And, again, maybe something that the head coach has to say.
2: Yeah, I don't – you're relieved to not get two picks. Although, on the other hand, like, look, Marvin Lewis may not – he still may be coaching for his job, and he needs to have a viable backup option in case Andy Dalton plays like Andy Dalton or Andy Dalton gets hurt. So he actually may be telling the truth, even though it does sound like classic yeah. coach speak.
0: It's also an interesting dynamic when front office makes the trade and the coaches then have to deal with it firsthand. So now Marvin Lewis having to – with A.J. McCarron, who was almost traded. Uh, Panthers quarterback Cam Newton today reacted to the team's trade of Calvin Benjamin to the Buffalo Bills. You know, it's
4: a business. My feelings are irrelevant. We got one job to do. That's one football games. It's hard, you know, when you have emotional attachment. But at the end of the day, you know, life goes on. Protests, no protests. Football's still going to be on Sunday. Dab on them
2: folks. The dab on them folks was added in by John Ramos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He'd be like, "Wait," he said, "dab on those folks." Afterwards, <laughs> the hell—that was the weirdest thing ever. I actually thought that was a pretty professional statement by Cam Newton, who's been so bad in the past. Because when it, he's saying, "Like, look, I like Calvin Benjamin; I like him a lot," uh, but it's business, and this decision they made, and we, and we move on. Kind of, and he took the no stance on the protest as well. At the same time, like that's actually a really smart sentence. From Cam Newton who's done a lot of dumb things at press conferences in the past it's funny and Panthers interim GM Marty Herney said that the move is going
0: to allow Carolina to get more speed on the field which may sound like GM speak but in reality you never had to worry about Calvin Benjamin and Devin Funchess being deep threats which allowed defenses to easily defend Cam Newton or Christian McCaffrey
2: no question it's not just that remember uh and and he goes back. Marty Herney's been in the league a long time. He goes back. He was a Bobby Bethard guy, right? Um, so uh, he, what, what's crazy about it was, remember Marty Herney, wasn't he fired by the Panthers? Yes. Like fired by the Panthers and they brought him back. And he's the one who drafted Cam. He drafted Keekly. He drafted even Thomas Davis. So he's acquired. But I think he looked at it like, look, Kelvin Benjamin was slow before he tore his knee. He's always been he- heavy. And now we got the Chris Samuel kid, who's from Ohio State, who's more of a burner. Curtis, yeah, Curtis Samuel, Curtis Samuel kid. And then they got uh, McCaffrey. Like we want to kind of open up the field for for Cam. And I kind of think that's, I kind of think that's a smart direction because their offense has not been great. Broncos named Brock Osweiler
0: as their starter for Week Nine against the Eagles, replacing Trevor Simeon.
2: Not surprising. Trevor Simeon stunk, and he's the only other viable option right now. So he'll get one or two games to prove himself. And if not, they'll turn to Paxton Lynch. Get out.
0: Well, Niners quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be active Sunday against the Cardinals. His head coach, Kyle Shanahan, says it's possible Garoppolo doesn't play at all for the rest of the season.
2: It is what it is. It's also possible that he does play the rest of the season. I, I think the Niners, though, and like that's music to the Patriots ears, right? They're just like, hey, no, don't play him. We'll take the first pick of the second round. But I, I think that. It's reasonable thing. They'll take their time before they put him in. One, you don't want to make them look bad. And two, Niners want as good a pick as they can get in the draft.
0: It is what it is. In a piece on ESPN, the magazine, Fred's close to Patriots head coach Bill Belichick think he'll coach only maybe two
2: or three more seasons. How about that?
0: 65 yeah. years old?
2: Yeah, I like, look, I don't know. Like, if I was him and I had all those championship rings, I'd probably go and pick a beach and live there. Right. It's not like he has a future in television. Okay. Let's Thank go to, let's go to Bill for a comment. More Oh yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Right. Right? We can't. So this is his this is his big gig. Makes one more run a title and then walks out the door. That makes sense. What are they going to do here Bill on third and three? Anything else? Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, get out there and press. That was the press. Who wins tonight? Ramos, I'm not even going to you. Music who wins tonight? Dodgers. Bayer, who wins tonight? I'll go with the Dodgers tonight. Oh, you guys are all a bunch of homers. Ramos, who wins tonight? Dodgers! I'm going to go with the uh, Dodgers. Come on! Life's better than the Dodge win. I want Gurial to get one in the year. It's Doug Gottlieb's show.